And now we come to our speaker portion of the uh, the meeting here, the workshop. And uh, today I'd like to introduce Matt M. friends. My name is Matt. I'm an addict. And I'm a proud member of the Faith and Life Group in Canada. So uh, uh, today I've been asked to, uh, to share about uh, uh, my experience in recovery uh, as far as change and uh, loss and grieving goes. So I'm going to try and do that. Um, I don't have a, a long drunkalog, dr- sorry, drugalog. Um, I picked up at 12 and my first using at 12 and my last time was at 24. You know, in between, I destroyed my life. I destroyed the life of people around me. Um, I was, you know, spiritually bankrupt, financially bankrupt, you know, everything. I just, it took everything from me. You know, I pushed my family away. I pushed my friends away. I was unemployable the whole bit. I mean, we all know the story, right? Um, and at uh, the age of 24, I found these rooms, you know, and uh, I've been clean ever since. You know, thank you. Um, when when I got here, I didn't handle change well. I don't know about anyone else, but I didn't. You know, I didn't cope well. I didn't handle change well. I didn't handle relationships. I didn't. Uh, you know, I remember and you know talking about grieving, being when I was 16 years old, and and the lady who lived across the street from me passed away. And she was sort of like a second mom to me. I hung out with her kids and was there for lunch and all that stuff. So, and I remember going to her funeral and uh, and crying, you know. And I'm I'm brought up that men don't cry, and I was really ashamed of that. And uh, and I said to myself at that moment, I said, I'm never going to cry again, you know. And that sort of became the the mantra for me, you know. I wouldn't go to funerals anymore, and you know, and I avoided it, you know, at all costs, and that. I think I was uh, seven years clean before I shed a tear again. You know, it was it was that strong. You know, but uh, um, I didn't. I couldn't have, know how to handle it, so I just avoided it. You know, and I mean that's the story of my drug use was just avoidance. You know, I wanted to numb the pain and you know not feel. Um, so anyhow, in uh, 1988, I got clean. Um, went to meetings. I went to meetings daily. You know, probably the first three years. Um, and that's where it worked for me, you know. I mean, in that, that hour and a half every day, I felt comfortable, you know. Uh, I lived at, uh, at home at first, got my own place, you know, the, the little, the small changes, right? We all go through them. And at three years clean, I joined the military, you know, out of boredom as much as anything, you know. I just want some excitement in my life, and, uh, you know, living in a small town wasn't doing it for me, I guess. So, uh, um, so that was the first big change, you know, outside of getting clean. And it was a great decision for me, you know, as far as, uh, you know, life goes. Um, but there was a lot of changes. Two years later, I found myself in, in the Balkans on deployment, you know, not able to get to meetings. And uh, and I didn't really handle that very well. You know, I mean, it was uh, interesting in that uh, when they told me I was going, I thought, you yeah, know, this is my thinking. I don't know. I wasn't really all there, but... Uh, as an addict, I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to go to meetings, so I better wean myself off them, you know. That didn't work very well, you know. I found myself in the Balkans, you know, not been to a meeting in six months, 
and uh, walking around with an automatic weapon and thinking about killing myself, stuff, you know. So, and that's a six years clean. So, uh, so I had to find a new solution, you know, to deal with some change. And uh, when I got back, got a new sponsor, went through the steps again, and you know, we started doing it again, you know, living it, you know. And and that's what my first sponsor taught me was he says, when you move, ninety meetings in ninety days, get a sponsor, get into service, all that stuff, you know. And that's saved my life ever since. You know, every time I've had to move, 90 meetings in 90 days, get a sponsor, do service, you know, and, uh, and I'm so clean today. Um, so anyhow, about, uh, I guess just at my, my father was at my 10-year celebration and he was diagnosed with cancer just before that. So uh, a year later, he passed away, you know. At that point, I'd left the military and I'd moved back. I'd moved to Ottawa here and it was closer to home, so... Uh, uh, that was really my first time in recovery, dealing with some serious, you know, grieving, and uh, um, it was a very dark time. You know, I was—I remember uh, just, you know, going to meetings, and you know, going to meetings for me is like autopilot. You know, it's—I just do it. You know, and and when there's stuff going on in my life, I do it more. You know, because uh, my sponsor told me at one point, he says, you know, balances, you know, getting to enough meetings that I can handle life on life terms. And sometimes I need more than one, you know. Sometimes I need more than seven a week. But uh, so, so when after my father passed away, and you know, I'm learning to deal with that, and going through the grieving process, and I'm going to meetings, and I'm talking about it, and uh, you know, I found myself about uh, it was probably six months later, you know, and I, I mean, I was going through the motions of life, working, and but but just unhappy, dark, and depressed, and all that stuff, and. And I, I sort of, uh, this thought came into my head that, you know, I'm choosing to be this way. You know, I have a choice in this, and I can, you know, I can get up and I can live, and, you know, I miss my dad, but, you know, if I can live in his legacy, then I can go on and do that, you know. And so that was that first realization that, you know, there was something that was under my control, you know. I mean, we all have to go through the grieving process, but I, I think the, the length of time we stay in it is really up to us, you know. So, uh, so I set about just trying to get back to, to you know, living life a day at a time and, you know, moving forward. And uh, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time, um, she went on to become my wife. Uh, we'd been sort of postponing our wedding for uh, while my father was sick. So, uh, so about a year after that, we got married. And uh, um, again, another change, right? There's an adjustment, you know. And that was all good, and I just like like everything else I've I've learned to do is you know I talk to my friends in these rooms and I go to meetings and uh, you know try and live life by you know on life's terms and practice the principles you know um, probably I'm going to jump ahead now. I mean, there's I went through uh, that was in 2001. I got married, so. We just kind of, we went through the, you know, marriage. You know, I worked, came home, we traveled. We decided not, we weren't going to have children, and that was fine. We were both comfortable with that. Um, and just went about living, right? And I remember, and it was kind of a big deal, because the mortgage on our house was paid off in Christmas of 2010. And I thought, oh, great. Now, you know, we can travel, we can do all this stuff. We got, you know, extra money. And uh 
on April the 4th in 2011, my wife was diagnosed with brain cancer. You know, and it's just devastating, you know. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to go through it, you know, alone. You know, and I, I'm not I'm not the guy that's, you know, always out there reaching out for help, you know. I tend to uh, um, work my way through it, and then I'll share about it. You know, talk to my sponsor and whatnot. But, you know, I was never one to really reaching out for help all the time. But when this happened, I knew I wasn't getting through this alone, you know. So, uh, so what I did, I came to the meetings and I talked to you people, and I shared about it. You know, I shared about, you know, what was happening in my life and what we were going through. And, and you know, my, my wife, Shirley, was a very big part of this fellowship. She wasn't in it, but she was friends of a lot of people. That, um, and it just, uh, you know, the fellowship stepped forward, you know. And I found out who was my friends and who was in, I was important to and who we were important to. And, and you know, we just walked through it. And, and I mean, I that probably a year and a half, I you know, I just kept going to meetings and sharing about it and crying about it and sharing about it and sharing about it. And I mean, it's the point where I thought I was sharing too much about it, that you guys were probably sick of it, you know. And that's me because no one ever stepped forward and said, you know, we're sick of hearing about that. You know, nobody ever, ever said that. So, uh, you know, it's just in my head. I was just looking for an excuse not to share about it, right? You know, so anyhow, that's kind of what, what went on there. Um, about three months into her treatment, my mom was put in the hospital, you know, and it was, it was a minor thing, you know, but she never came out, you know, six weeks later we buried her, you know, and, and, and again, I'm, I had some, uh, when my mom went in the hospital, it was, I mean, and I'm, I'm not trying to be cryptic here, but uh, there were some thoughts that went through my head thinking, you know, there was a relief there because it was a distraction from what we were, I was going through with my wife and what she was going through and, you know. It was something I could sort of focus on to sort of get my mind off what was happening with my wife, you know. And, and I have some, some feelings about that, that, you know, some guilt and that today that I have to deal with. And, um, but anyhow, uh, six weeks after she went in, she passed away, you know. And I'm trying to deal with her estate and, and my wife and the, her treatments. And it was, um, it was quite a trying time. You know, and, and again, I'm just I'm sharing at meetings. I've picked up extra meetings. I'm, you know, doing whatever I need to do to look after me, so that I can be there to look after, you know, my wife. And um, now we just walked through it. You know, we walked through it with the help of you people. You know, people stepped up. People were picking my wife up, taking her to the for treatments, and I was able to go to work. And you know, and I mean as. As smooth as it could have been in what we were going through, it was, you know, and thanks to you people, you know. And, and all I had to do was, you know, put it out there. This, this is what we're going through, you know, which was very, it was just an amazing, you know, freeing. freeing. So um, so that's what I did. And uh, I remember uh, when we were going through this, and the first time when she went in the hospital, she had to have surgery, brain surgery, and uh, um and I'd come home, I'd go into the hospital early in the morning and I'd come home late at night and there'd be, you know, 18 messages on the, on the answering machine and, you know, everybody wants updates and I thought, oh my God, this, you know, maybe doing updates and calling people for, you know, three hours a night, right? So I started this little thing, I would send an email, I'd send a daily update on email 
And it started with, you know, what it was, 18 or 20 people. Um, and what this did for me, uh, you know, it, it allowed me uh, a period where I could sort of go through and put down on paper what, what happened in my day, you know, and I could share it, you know, and what the result of that was, which was totally unexpected. I'd get up the next morning and I'd turn my computer on and there'd be like, you know, 20 messages back and people then they're just lifting me up you know I'm getting hope I'm getting faith I'm getting love you know and it was just giving me the strength to go one more day you know and and this list started at 20 and by the time my wife had passed away it was probably 250 people so I'd get up and there'd be you know 100 messages you know and I'd go through them before I went to the hospital and you know and that was the, giving me the strength just to move forward and you know stay on the path on course um, so anyhow, uh, my mother my mother passed away in August of 2011, and then a year later, my wife passed away in September 2012. You know, and I mean, I was devastated, and, but uh, you know, I knew, you know, I had to go on. You know, I wasn't giving up. You know, it was she wouldn't have wanted me to do that. You know. And I, I mean, at the time, I'd picked up an extra meeting, so I was going to, you know, extra meetings and, uh, you know, doing whatever I could. I remember the whole, her her cancer returned in August of 2012, and she was hospitalized again and more surgery, and uh, um, three weeks later, she passed away. And, and that whole three weeks was just, you know, she's in the hospital again. I'm going in in the morning and going home at night. And, uh, Every day there's 30 people coming through, you know, NA friend, friends, friends from outside the program, just, you know. So it was almost like a wake for three weeks. And, and I mean, it, I'm so glad today that that was, you know, I, I just can't imagine being sitting in a, in a hospital room with someone watching them die and being alone, you know. So, you know, at least I was surrounded by friends and I was loved. And, you know, again, all I had to do was put it out there. You know, put it out to the universe, to, to this fellowship, you know, and uh, um, and I was taken care of, right? You guys walked me through it, carried me. Um, so, but when that was over, I was like just exhausted, you know, and after the, I remember after the funeral, I was, it was up in my hometown in Renfrew and uh, I was staying at my friend's house and my sponsors and, uh, you know, we went through the whole funeral and all that stuff and then and I just, I went out and I hid at his house for a couple of days and then I left town. My sister was getting married like two weeks later in Las Vegas. So I took off and I went to Las Vegas for three weeks to her wedding. And, you know, and again, like, like when my father died and, you know, I was numb. You know, I was exhausted. I was numb. I really, it was very depressed and dark. And, and you know, I, I remember thinking that all I wanted to do was sleep, you know. I was trying to um, close off my mom's estate and now my wife's estate and all that stuff, and the legalities were just overwhelming, you know. And I'm not saying they were overwhelming because there was a lot to do. It was just I didn't want to do it, you know. As part of the grieving process, I didn't want. All I wanted to do was have fun, you know, go out and be happy as I could and laugh and whatever, right? And I couldn't do a lot of that, but I had very little energy to do, you know, paying even paying bills was a problem you know the responsible things was it was a big problem for me and you know and I had to really focus on that and I learned to make lists and all that stuff but uh, you know 
eventually, you know, enough meetings, talking to people, and, you know, reaching out, and, uh, you know, eventually I was able to sort of get back on track, you know, and I remember uh, um, I started dating probably two months after, you know, after my wife passed away. And the only reason I did that was because if I wasn't doing that, I was going to be at home alone, you know, sleeping or depressed or whatever, just isolating, right? And what, what dating was did for me was it gave me an excuse to get, get up and get dressed and get out, you know, something that, you know, made me happy. And, you know, I was in no place to to carry on a relationship by any means, you know. And, uh, but it got me out. It got me out of the house, you know, got me back to sort of living, you know, and, and I mean, that was important. So, uh, um, and it's just over the time it's gotten better. That was two and a half years ago, I guess. Uh, you know, things have gotten a little easier. I went back to work after about, I don't know, two months, and uh, I was totally useless. You know, I, I was like, squirrel! You know? I just, I couldn't focus, right? I was, I was there, I sort of knew what I was doing, but I couldn't focus, so I'd have five different projects on to go at the same time, and none of them ever finishing, and, you know? <laughs> uh, but again, that got better, you know? It got better slowly over time, and, you know, working at it, and, you know, the help of others, and, the, you know? And I, I think if, if there's anything that I've learned from that, it was, is that grieving is just a process. You know, we all have to go through it, um, it was important for me, and, and what, what I learned with my father was at some point I had to make that decision that, you know, I'm feeling the way I'm feeling because I'm choosing to, right? It becomes a habit. I think depression can sometimes become a habit, and I'm not making any light of, you know, uh, depression. I'm just coming from, you know, losing people that we love, and for me, losing people that I love, and where I went with that, you know, that depression. and. Uh, uh, there's things I can do. You know, I can come to these meetings. I can share about it. There's, you know, talk to my friends. You know, just get up and do stuff, right? What I have learned is, uh, um, talking about this, the change and stuff, is that I didn't do change very well, you know. And today I'm trying to do change, you know. Today I'm trying to stick my neck out and, and do stuff that's uncomfortable just because it, you know, it's I conquer stuff. You know, I was down on a holiday in uh, um, Las Vegas a couple of, about a month ago or whatever, right? So I thought, well, why not? I might as well date down here. So I went out on a couple of dates down there. With, and I mean, they, I knew they weren't going anywhere, but it was a chance to get out and whatever, you know, have lunch with a beautiful woman sort of thing. And uh, um, so I did, you know, and that's something that I would never have done in the past, right? It was like, you know, I'd put it off until I got home or whatever. So, you know, that's the sort of thing. It's just I, I'm trying to today to live my life, you know, just for today and one day at a time and and not put off life until later. You know, I'm not going to wait until I retire. I'm not going to wait until, you know, I'm 65, you know. I'm going to try and live it today. And, you know, it's uh, that I feel much better about me when I do that, you know, and, and I think... Uh, I'm a lot happy, happier about life, and you know. So, anyhow, I don't have a lot more to share. I mean, it's been a recovery has been a process. It's been about change. Um, I remember in early recovery, you know, we talk about um, you know reservations, you know? and I always thought if there was something that was going to make me use again, 
be like losing my parents, you know. And now I know that that didn't happen, you know. I made it through that. I walked through that. And uh, I was a part of the solution, you know. And in my in my brain now, it's like there's nothing that can make me use unless I choose to pick up, right? You know, I was able to get through losing my parents, and I was able to get through losing my wife, and, you know, so there's nothing that's going to make me use, you know, as long as I don't choose to, you know. So, anyhow, thank you uh, for letting me share. It's been a, you know, great way to start the day, and uh, have a great convention. Thank you, Matt. Um, I think what Matt said up here is a good example, a great example of what recovery and this program of Narcotics Anonymous can offer us if we're willing to, to look for it, if we're willing to, willing to ask for it, and also willing to accept it. Thanks again. And it says here, please join us in a circle to close this meeting with the Wii version of the Serenity Prayer. It also says that the theme song will play during this, so I don't know how that's going to happen.